0: Josh alerted us to the incident at the game on Saturday night yesterday. And the last 24 hours has really been twofold in terms of investigating to see if we can get to the bottom of what was said and who by. And then also obviously making sure Josh his well-being is first and foremost. Thank you, Golden Globes.
1: This is for the LGBTQAI, the many multi-beautiful colors of the rainbow around the freaking world.
2: Amazing
1: grace
3: Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Greg Gordon. Greece and France accept blood from queer male donors. A homophobic chorus taunts Aussie footballer Josh Cavallo. And black U.S. trans activist Andrea Jenkins breaks a political glass ceiling. Those stories and more this week because you've chosen This Way Out.
4: I'm Elena Botkin-Levy
5: and I'm Wenzel Jones
4: with News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending January 15, 2022. Sexually active queer men in Greece and France will now be able to donate blood. Health authorities in both countries lifted their remaining restrictions this week. From the late 1970s into the 80s, AIDS was the raging pandemic. Greece joined most countries in banning all blood donations by gay and bisexual men. The policy remained unchanged until the government asked health officials to reconsider it just last year. On January 10th, Health Minister Thanos Plevres and Deputy Mina Gaga signed a ministerial decree removing homosexual acts as a reason to reject queer men who want to donate blood. The new policy will take effect as soon as it's officially published in the Government Gazette. In France, men who have sex with men previously had to be sexually abstinent for the four months prior to their blood donation. Health Minister Olivier Véran announced on January 13th that prospective blood donors would no longer be asked about their sexual activities. France's policy change becomes effective on March 16th. For decades, activists have argued that modern science has sufficiently advanced to allow sexually active queer men to donate blood safely. Greece and France join a growing list of countries that include Italy, Hungary, Brazil, and Spain in lifting all restrictions on blood donations by men who have sex with men. Officials in Canada and the UK are moving in the same direction. Plummeting blood donations in the midst of the global COVID pandemic have intensified the calls from activists and health officials for a similar move in more European countries, in Australia, and in the United States, where a few months of abstinence is still required.
5: Lawmakers in Poland launched another attack on LGBTQ people this week. The Lower House of Parliament narrowly approved a bill to tighten government control over education involving sexual orientation, gender identity, and reproductive rights. It now moves on to the Senate. Rights activists warn that it's yet another effort to restrict queer rights by autocratic far-right Polish President Andrzej Duda. The proposed measure requires extracurricular activities run by non-governmental organizations on campus to be approved by a government supervisor. It would also make it easier to fire uncooperative school principals. Education Minister Shemziswaf Charnek specifically said that the supervisors would have the right to block any instruction that would be a threat to the morality of children. Charnek is one of the government's more notorious anti-queer loudmouths. LGBTQ people, in his words, aren't equal to normal people, and he's compared them to Nazis. In more encouraging news from Poland, three women have been acquitted again of offending religious beliefs. The trio distributed posters of the Virgin Mary with a rainbow-hued halo in the city of Plask in 2019. They faced up to two years in prison, but an appeals court rejected the original prosecutor's challenge to their acquittal this week.
4: In neighboring and equally hostile Hungary, Prime Minister Viktor Orban is betting his career on homophobia. He's scheduled national elections and an anti-queer referendum for the same day, April 3rd. Most analysts see Orban's bid for a fourth term to be his most challenging yet. Opponent Petar Marquise is backed by six opposition parties across the political spectrum, united to end Orban's autocratic rule based on Western Christian family values. The bias in the multi-pronged and inflammatory referendum is clear. It asks voters if they support sexual orientation workshops in schools without parental consent, if content that could supposedly affect a child's sexual orientation should be taught without restriction, and if gender-affirming surgeries should be performed on children.
5: Germany has its first Commissioner for the Acceptance of Sexual and Gender Diversity. Gay Green Party MP Sven Lehmann accepted the newly created post from the new government. A coalition of center-left social democrats, progressive greens, and neoliberal free democrats took over in December after 16 years of Angela Merkel's socially moderate but politically conservative rule. According to Deutsche Welle, Lehman will be responsible for working with government ministries on policy projects affecting the LGBTQ plus community. He will also spearhead the government's national action plan for sexual and gender diversity. Germany's major queer advocacy groups praised the move. A statement from the Lesbian and Gay Association called it, another important signal for the queer political awakening promised by the coalition government. The German Society for Trans Identity and Intersexuality also says it looks forward to working with Lehman toward what it hopes will be a better world for all trans, inter, and non-binary people. Germany has seen increasingly enlightened government policies advancing the rights of LGBTQ people in recent years. However, Lehman told Reuters, when I think about the fact that many young people are afraid to come out at school or in their sports clubs, then we haven't come far enough yet.
4: The government of South Korea has considerably much farther to go. The Seoul Administrative Court rejected a landmark lawsuit demanding equal spousal health benefits for queer couples from the National Health Insurance Service. The agency only got wind of plaintiff So Siung-wook's benefits from the workplace coverage of his partner, Kim Young-min, after the rare case was revealed in the media. So's benefits were withdrawn. The administrative court decided on January 7th that lawmakers need to change the current definition of civil marriage to include queer couples. Then So could receive spousal health care benefits through Kim's employer an increasingly powerful Christian conservative movement in South Korea has become a major obstacle to the efforts of equality activists. In a recent report, Human Rights Watch accuses the government of citing intense religious and conservative opposition to justify inaction. Kim told reporters that the couple plans to appeal the decision. He vowed, Even though the court has left it as a matter of the legislative branch, we will continue to fight until the day our relationship is recognized. I believe that love will eventually win.
5: Finally, in the land down under, Sydney's Sea Life Aquarium is swimming in congratulations as their famed gay penguin couple enters its fourth breeding season. Sven and Magic first gained notoriety in 2018 when they hatched a chick from an unattended egg a zookeeper gave them. Their renown grew when they were featured on the Netflix show, Atypical. The devoted gay, gentoo penguin couple successfully incubated and hatched their second chick in 2020. Savannah and Magic's actual third anniversary was celebrated in November, according to the Sydney Star Observer. Zookeepers handed out frozen fish cakes throughout the penguin colony for the occasion. In a promotional video released this week, penguin keeper Kira Ponting announces that the royal couple is once again receiving visitors.
4: Hi everyone, my name's Kara, Kira and I'm a penguin keeper at Sea Life Sydney Aquarium and I'm here today to give you an update on our penguin power couple Magic and Sven. They're still growing strong this year celebrating their third anniversary. They've moved house and are in a brand new nest location and are still one of our strongest couples in the exhibit. They're a great example for the rest of the colony, inseparable and proving just how strong penguin bonds can be. You can come and visit Magic and Sven and the rest of our sub Antarctic Cobain colony here at Sea Life Sydney Aquarium. That's NewsRap, global clear news with attitude for the week ending January 15th, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community.
5: Newswrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you.
4: Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more.
5: And you can read the transcript and listen to Newswrap each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm Wenzel Jones. Stay healthy.
4: And I'm Elena Botkin Levy. Stay safe.
1: This is not just for me, this is for y'all. This is the door that opens for y'all, not me, for y'all.
3: Global Gratitude, later in the program. Adelaide United's Josh Cavallo collided with another player during their January 8th match against the Melbourne Victory and was withdrawn with a suspected concussion. But it wasn't bells he was hearing as he was walked off the field past the group of Victory fans. It was a cacophony of homophobic slurs. In October, Cavallo became the first active professional footballer to exit the closet, and he was applauded around the world for his courage. He called out the obnoxious behavior in Melbourne on Instagram, saying that he had no words to describe his disappointment over the incident. However, Adelaide United's CEO, Ethan Cosmina, had plenty to say about it the following day at a press conference held back on their home field, Cooper's Stadium.
0: Josh alerted us to uh, the incident at the game on Saturday night yesterday Um, and the the last 24 hours has really been twofold in terms of investigating to see if we can get to the bottom of what was said and who by and then also obviously making sure Josh is well-being is first and foremost Um, he's had uh, obviously has a significant profile now globally Um, but with that and particularly given uh, the sensitivity around his announcement as the first active or the only active professional male footballer to come out as, as gay has caused him a little bit of, uh, or I would say, ongoing abuse over the last couple of months that we've needed to manage and uh, him and his team have had to manage as well. We've spoken to Josh yesterday and then again today and it happened in stoppage time as he was walking off the pitch. He was subbed around about the 95th minute, I believe. Um, and as he was walking off um, is when you know, the abuse came from the northern stand. So we've identified a time frame when we think it occurred. Now it's a matter of providing that information to uh, the league and also Victory and then the more specific investigation in terms of CCTV footage, broadcast footage is then reviewed based on those time frames to see if they can identify any individuals. He's a real resilient young man you know we've spoken often about the courage he displayed in terms of coming out and everything that went along with that, the pressure that was on him then as a global voice of of, um, the LGBTI plus community was, was significant, and, and he's handled that. You see, he's been playing well this season, you know, he's taken that all in his stride. Um, with that, as I've mentioned, has come some abuse, you know, particularly on social media. And I think where this went a little too far was the quantum of it. It wasn't uh, an individual. Um, it was more of a collective voice coming out of that Northern stand that, that uh, and he said, basically enough's enough, I'm calling this out. And we said, we're, we're right behind you, Josh. We've seen it in other sports. I mean, race has been a big issue um, obviously for our code, but in other sports where fan behavior has been questionable. So um, hopefully, if there is a positive side to this, it's a catalyst for change in education. We're we're doing some work um, on a potential Pride Cup game this year. you know, to raise more awareness around this issue, we want our grounds, and particularly Cooper Stadium, but obviously at away games as well, to be really welcoming and inclusive. And we want people coming to our games feeling safe. And that's the sort of behaviour. And it abuse of any of any nature isn't isn't welcome. And, and the simple message is, um, you know, we don't want you at our games if that's what you're going to bring to them.
3: Adelaide United CEO Nathan Cosmina's pledge to investigate the abuse of outbursts against Josh Cavallo was joined by officials from the Melbourne Victory, the Players Union, and the Australian Professional Leagues. South Australia police are looking into the matter, and the perpetrators could face prosecution. Cavallo's Instagram post about the incident drew a hateful onslaught, including death threats that are also being investigated. The footballer is now challenging social media platforms to take some responsibility for abusive messaging.
4: Hi, my name is Robbie Rogers from the Los Angeles Galaxy, and you're listening to This Way Out, the international radio show for all our sexually diverse communities.
2: Violence against trans people is the absolute number one issue. And even more particularly is violence towards transgender women of color. Loving a trans woman of color is a revolutionary act. Sisters are doing it for themselves. Two
3: trans sisters are doing it for everyone. You'll hear about one in politics later in the program after we applaud this award-winning entertainer. Liz. Post star M.J. Rodriguez made history as the first trans woman to be crowned Best Actress in a TV drama series at the 79th Annual Golden Globe Awards on January 9th. Rodriguez offered her enthusiastic appreciation via Instagram Live.
1: Okay. <sighs> the. Okay, so number one, y'all yeah, know I haven't been getting on live because I... Child, I've been working real hard, but I gotta take this moment to say this because I couldn't really say all of this in a post. Like I just posted and I'm definitely gonna be posting, but I have to say this. Number one, thank you Golden Globes. This is for the LGBTQAI, Black, Latina, Asian, the many multi-beautiful colors of the rainbow around the freaking world. This is not just for me, this is for y'all. This is the door that opens for y'all, not me, for y'all. There are gonna be so many young individuals, young, talented, thriving individuals that are going to be able to trail in and storm in through the door. This is for y'all. I don't know how many times I have to say it. I'm probably gonna sound like a broken record. I, you know, there was no uh, accepted speeches, so I'll give it here. I'm gonna say I am very thankful to the many beautiful people that came together with this show. Mr. Ryan Murphy, thank you for actually seeing me. Steven, Canals, bitch, you wrote the hell out of this show. Ms. Janet Monk, you took it, you swooped it bam miss uh child child this is see i'm glad this is not on the stage because child i will wreck it on the stage <laughs> but our lady jay you came in like an angel in the night and you just really graced us with your beautiful writing as well to my beautiful family Dominique jackson Haley sahar angelica ross india freaking
3: Well, the vagaries of the Internet stepped in to abruptly cut off MJ Rodriguez's acceptance speech. The job that would have gone to an overly eager orchestra had the Golden Globes not been a subdued online-only event. And not just because of the pandemic. An ongoing heated controversy over the Hollywood Foreign Press Association's lack of diversity and unethical practices has made the sponsoring organization something of a pariah. Only a couple of recipients even responded to the tweeted announcements of their Globe wins. We'll see whether MJ Rodriguez is a sign of change.
1: signed up for an e-newsletter, Inside This Way Out? We
4: send them out every few weeks, briefly reviewing recent and previewing upcoming programming and deepening the conversation about your favorite international LGBTQ radio show.
5: To receive the occasional
3: Inside This Way Out and let us know you're listening, email us at info at city of Minneapolis, Minnesota, the city council has unanimously elected Andrea Jenkins to serve as its president. She's the first out transgender person in the U.S. to hold a position like it. George Floyd was murdered by police in Jenkins' home district in 2020, and she gained national prominence at a memorial gathering soon thereafter.
2: Uh. Amazing grace, how sweet is the sound that say a wretch like me. I grew up in a religious family, a religious home. Um, I grew up in the church with Reverend Jeremiah Wright. And he talked about these injustices every Sunday. I want to offer some amazing grace to the entire Floyd family. I also stand here to grieve with my community today. With all the Black people all throughout this country, all throughout America, and right here in Minneapolis, we feel as if there was a knee on all of our collective necks. A knee that says black life does not matter to the institutions that dictate what happens in this culture and society. I am a part of this system to help to take that knee off of our necks. And that is the work that I will be doing. That was
3: the work newly elected Minneapolis City Council President Andrea Jenkins was doing long before George Floyd was killed. This way our listeners first met the trailblazer in 2014 in this interview with Dixie Treiko of KFAI's
2: Fresh Fruit. I work as a senior policy aide for the Eighth Ward City Council member Elizabeth Glidden, and we were talking about ways that we can potentially do something positive to help create better opportunities for the transgender community and make sure that transgender people, queer, would be able to, to access the opportunities and resources that are available at the city.
1: What do you think is the most important issue right now for trans folks? Violence
2: against trans people is the absolute number one issue. And even more particularly is violence towards transgender women of color. Mm -hmm. And so we think that the biggest conversation is going to happen around police community relations. The violence is coming from people that hate transgender people, but it's also coming from the police community as well. Why is that violence so prevalent? I mean, you can say that the lack of access to being able to get proper ID, which leads to the lack of employment, which leads to the lack of housing, which then leaves a lot of transgender people trying to make a life on the street in somewhat illegal activities, be it sex work or drug sales or shoplifting survival crimes, I call them. They don't have access to the broader economic structure in our society.
1: Andrea is also a poet and writer, and you're going to read a poem for us.
2: Eighteen. Eighteen hours since her last meal. Her head is spinning with desperation. Hypersexualized body looks good. But the 5 o'clock shadow is 9 hours over the limit, and her wig is beginning to look matted. She was 18 when she left home. College was on the streets. The school day was long. Seemed like it never ended. Many nights spent on sticky tricks sofas. Days spent as a social activist, marching, lobbying, organizing. Eighteen trans women of color gathering for an outpouring of self-love. Laverne Cox says that loving a trans woman of color is a revolutionary act. Sisters are doing it for themselves. Walking the streets of Bangkok, Thailand, 18 hours before the life-altering surgery body didn't evolve the way she dreamed of in her tiny bed inside a shared bath bedroom that proved to be unsafe. Her mind flashed back to that birth certificate, assigned male at birth, socialized in a patriarchal world, yet unable to fully relate to the constant challenge of trying to live her truth in an upside-down reality. Eighteen times, she threw out all of her women's clothing, known in the community as the Purge, ridding oneself of all the reminders of the transgression she contemplated by the day, annually, for as long as she can remember. Doctors prescribe birth control pills for women for approximately 18 days a month, but some trans women take estrogen every day. The desired effects never really come, though. Still, she remains faithful to the goddess. Eighteen candles on transgender day of remembrance. Eighteen trans women of color murdered. And not always by those who hate them, but by the men who have made love and shared love with them, but want to keep those secrets in the dark. Shout out to 18 trans sisters out there doing the damn thing. Chernobyl, Lords Ashley Hunter, Ariana Lent, Cecilia Chung, Valerie Spencer, Ashley Love, Angelica Ross, Erica Carter, Monica Roberts, Miss Major, Janet Mock, Laverne Cox, Tracy McDaniel, Cece McDonald, Paradise Lachey, Rahima. Martinez June Remus it's been 18 years since this journey began a long way from the days of fear and loathing although her life may seem charmed to outsider she knows that her trans brothers and trans sisters are struggling out there so she tells their story
3: That was trans activist and poet Andrea Jenkins reading 18 and in conversation with Dixie Trickell in 2014. Congrats in 2022 to the new Minneapolis City Council president. Thank you, I'll
1: get it myself.
3: Thanks for discovering This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from Elena Botkin-Levy and Wenzel Jones, produced by Brian DeShazer, and from Dixie Tricle. Matt Quayle, Sam Cooke, and Aretha Franklin performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed that theme music. This Way Out thanks the Kicking Assets funded the Tides Foundation, the Ivana Foundation, a bequest from Christopher David Trenton and donors James Kennedy and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078USA. For Associate Producer, Lucia Chapelle and all of us at This Way Out, I'm Greg Gordon. Thanks for listening. Online at thiswayout.org, and on WGHC, Chicago, Illinois, 2SER, Broadway, New South Wales, Global Community Radio, Geneva, New York, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned.